Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Everybody's talking about heaven. One of the songs in Top 40 right now talks about heaven. Led Zeppelin became famous by a song, Stairway to Heaven. Eric Clapton wrote a song after his son fell from a multi-story building window called Tears in Heaven. Tracy Chapman sings, Heaven's Here on Earth. The church sings about heaven. Contemporary Christian music talks about heaven. Stephen Curtis Chapman says there's no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. A lot of people talk about heaven. In fact, although most people that you talk to would deny the existence of hell. Most everybody you talk to believes in the existence of some form of paradise after death. So what I want us to do is to go to where God has lifted the veil for us to let us see what He has been doing. Now, when you get to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, what you get to is what God has been doing since Genesis chapter 1. Everything culminates in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. By the way, there is no devil mentioned in the last two chapters. When God starts talking about heaven, He doesn't waste any more time talking about our enemy. He is cast into a lake of fire, there to remain forever. And he draws back the curtain and lets us get a glimpse of what he has been doing, what he is presently doing, and what we will be doing for all eternity. And so I want to ask you to join with me. We're going to skip a few verses, but I'll read extensively out of Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, beginning in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper, it had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And the names were written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square 
and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls, 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned in every kind of precious stone. Now pick up in verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never close. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When Jesus left the earth, he left to do two things. First of all, he left to pray for us. The scripture says he ever lives to make intercession. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever moment in time that you are a part of, as long as you have breath, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. If you can't get a return call from anybody, if you don't feel like anybody else cares enough to pray, Jesus Christ is praying for you. He left to intercede for us. The second thing he left to do was to prepare a place for us. John chapter 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you, and in my Father's house are many mansions, literally many dwelling places. You kind of get the idea of a mansion and... and, uh, you know, you can get the idea of this cold stone building uh, like Princess Diane, Prince Charles live in, you know, that's a house, but it's not a home. But the picture here is of a home, of a dwelling place, of a place where you feel comfortable, a place that you feel at home at. You know, you can go to some houses and you don't feel at home, right? I mean, because you're scared to touch anything, you're scared to move, and then especially if you've got small kids, I mean, the whole time you're going, don't touch, don't move, don't, don't, don't go over here, don't do, no, that could break, don't go over here, don't do that, don't touch that, don't sit down on that, that's antique. Well, you're not going to have anything to worry about in heaven because there's nothing breakable there. You're going to have a home that you can be at home in. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. And he said in Revelation 21, 5, Behold, I make all things new. Now, that word new means new in kind, new in quality, or new in character. It's something that's never existed before. It's new, and it has never existed before this time. He's making all things new to us. And so there are several things about heaven. First of all, heaven is a perfect place. It is not a myth. It's not a state of mind. It's not an emotion. It's not a crutch for the elderly. Although the older we get, we do seem to care more about heaven than when we were younger. It's funny. When we're small children, we talk about heaven. 
And when we're old people, we talk about heaven and we forget about it in youth and middle age when we need to be preparing for it. It's not a myth. It is a place designed by God. But listen, the central focus of heaven is not all these things that, that John writes about in chapter 21. For if you remember, turn, in fact, turn if you would to, to Revelation 4. Because John, the first thing he noticed about heaven was not the walls, not the streets of gold, not the gates of pearl. Revelation chapter 4, which is the passage that we looked at when we talked about worship and what we'll be doing for all eternity. Revelation 4 and verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. See, the first thing that John noticed was not all the stuff that impresses us. Wow, that's a lot of gold. Those are a lot of stones. God must have a lot of money. The first thing he talked about was, I saw a throne and there was a lamb sitting on it. The dominance of the presence of God is more powerful in heaven than the presence of all that stuff. That's just kind of thrown in. I love what Ron Dunn says. He says, you know, we put such a value on gold and God just paves streets with it. He uses gold like we do asphalt. I mean, it's nothing to him. I mean, he wants gold, he can make gold. He, he didn't have to worry about anything. He's got all he needs. Make a whole city out of it. Now, let's talk about heaven as a perfect place. First of all, it is a place of perfect fellowship with God. John 14, 3 says that where I am, there you may be also. It's a place of perfect fellowship with God. Now, wherever heaven is, that's where God is. And he's there so that we may be there also, to have perfect fellowship with him. We won't have to worry about him having to leave and go somewhere else. He'll be there, and we will be in his presence in a supernatural existence. Secondly, it is a place of perfect fellowship with other Christians. It is a place of perfect fellowship with other Christians. Now, John, when he wrote this, was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He was separated by the sea, and it is interesting that God, knowing the heart of man, says to a man exiled on an island, no more sea. Not going to be any more sea. You know, John would go up on the beaches of the Isle of Patmos and he would stand, and from Patmos you can see the mainland. And he'd look out and realize that loved ones were over there, maybe grandkids were over there. People that he had saved were over there. And he couldn't see them because he was separated by a great body of water, but he said, there's going to be no more sea, no more parting. Whatever stands in the way of our fellowship with one another is going to be removed in heaven. We're going to have perfect fellowship with one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, when, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. No death. No tears, no curse of sin. Perfect fellowship with other Christians. Now, one of the questions that people ask about heaven is, will I know my loved ones there? I believe the answer is emphatically yes. Do you remember David when his baby died? And David said in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 22 and 23, 
He cannot come and be with me, but I can go and be with him. Under the inspired word of God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David understood something about knowing his son who had died. Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? Peter, James, and John were up there, and Jesus didn't say, Now, Moses, this is Peter, and uh, Peter, this is Moses, and, and uh, John, this is Elijah. Elijah, you'll need to know John because y'all haven't met before. I mean, these people have been dead for over a thousand years. I mean, they're long gone. There are no pictures. It's not like, oh, George Washington. So, uh, yeah, you kind of bear resemblance there. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when there was a glimpse of the glory of God, there was an immediate recognition of two of the major figures of the Old Testament. What that tells me is, if they could recognize Moses and Elijah, who they had never known personally, they'll recognize one another who they have known personally. They will know one another there. Well, will I know my family there? Yes, yeah, some of them, you may be surprised that they get there, but, but you'll know them. I mean, your, your jaw may drop right after you see Jesus and turn around and, and see some cousin, and you think, I can't believe it. But it'll be a place of perfect fellowship. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, I shall know even as also I am known. So I do believe that heaven is a place where you know your loved ones. Heaven is a place where you fellowship with other Christians. We're not on the clock. We don't have to leave. We don't have to worry about how much time we've got. We've got all the time that there is and more. Thirdly, heaven is a place of perfect abundance. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, a place of perfect abundance. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, remember Jesus said in John's Gospel, I am the living water, and if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Guess what gets picked up right here in this verse? The river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That living water comes from God. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no longer any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him there. Verse 5. And there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now here's what heaven's going to be. All you've ever needed from beginning to end and everything in between is provided for you there. You won't have to run down to the store to get anything. All that you need for perfect contentment and peace and happiness is already provided from the river and from the tree of life and from the lamb. All provisions made for us. Fourthly, it is a place of perfect comfort and rest. Now, I know that because he said, tells us what's not there. He tells us there are no tears, no sorrow, no death, no pain, no darkness. The ungodly are not there. Sin is not there. There are no temples there. There's no sun or moon there. And the curse of Adam, sin is not there. He tells us what is there. The saints are there. 
the river of the water of life, the healing fruit, the Lamb of God, worship is there, the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride, and the unveiled face of God and the Son of Righteousness are all there. So it's a place of comfort and a place of rest. Next, it is a place of perfect glory. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we, then shall you also appear with him in glory. That's pretty impressive, you know. The Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Place of perfect glory. Lastly, it's a place of perfect worship. We sang tonight. I think we'll sing it at the end. Blessing and glory and honor and power forever. It is a place of perfect worship. Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, and at least two or three other worship songs are contained in the book of Revelation. Revelation is more about worship than it is about any other subject. It is the worship of the Lamb of God, unhindered worship, pure worship given to the Lamb of God. It's not only a perfect place, it's a prepared place. First of all, it is prepared by and for God. Now, it wouldn't be heaven if God was, wasn't there, would it? If, it? if God's not there, it's not heaven. It's a place prepared by and for Him. The throne is His throne. It is His city, the new Jerusalem. It's not our city. It's His city. It's His church that will be there, not our church. His church that will be there. It is prepared for Him. It is a place fit for his dwelling. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it tells us that the Father sits on the throne. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, John saw Jesus standing by the throne in heaven. And in Revelation 14, 13, and Revelation 22, 17, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in heaven. Although the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is with us on earth, he is present in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in heaven, a place prepared by them and for them. Now, when John talks about the temple, he's talking about the dwelling place of God, the place of God's permanent residence. And remember Jesus said, where I am, there you may be also. And what makes heaven heaven is not the streets of gold, it's the God being there among his people. The reason that you don't need a temple, the reason that you don't need a tabernacle is because heaven is the presence of God. So he doesn't need a dwelling place. The whole place is his dwelling place. He's not confined behind a, a veil anymore. He's not confined to a temple on a mountain anymore. He's not confined to following with a pillar of cloud or fire. He's not confined to an earthly body. He's all present in heaven. Secondly, it's a place prepared for his children. Now remember, it's a place of perfect fellowship. Well, if it's going to be perfect fellowship, it's perfect fellowship for his children. Some people think that as long as you're sincere, you can get to heaven. The Bible is very clear. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Chapter 21 and verse 3 says, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. It's a place prepared for his children. Now, I'm going to get to the part that everybody really likes to talk about. It's a prepared city, thirdly. It's a prepared city. Chapter 21, verses 18 through 19 and verse 21 tell us that it is a prepared city. Now, the entire city in verse 18 is built, watch it, 
of transparent gold. Anybody ever seen transparent gold? Because man can't make gold transparent, no matter how well he refines it. Now get it, the entire complex, everything in it is transparent gold. No walls to hide behind, no corners for anything to lurch behind to jump out and scare you. It's just all transparent gold. You say, well, how did God do that? I don't know. He didn't tell us how he did it. He just said that's the way it is. There's some things we can't figure out. If he told us how he did it, we wouldn't believe it. So he just left it to our imagination to just see a city that's there, but you can't see it because it's transparent gold. The gates of pearl. The pearl is singular. One pearl he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, with a little help from a friend, I tried to do a little figuring on this. I don't know how big heaven was. You know, some people think that only 144,000 people are going to be in heaven. If it is, it's sure a lot of wasted space. My Bible tells me that heaven is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. It's shaped like a cube. It's a square. It's not limited to time and space into one level dimension. It's a square. Now, let me tell you how far that is. That's from the Canadian border to Florida, and that's from New York City to Denver if you just want to cover landmass. If you just want to say, okay, heaven is just this flat piece of earth and we're going to live there, how many people can you put in that? Well, probably at least 250 million people and still have room. So there's a lot of room if you just measure it that way. Now, if you measure it by square miles, it's 2,250,000 square miles. If you take height, Width, length, if you take all of that, it's 2,250,000 square miles. If you take it and cube it, it is 3,375,000,000 cubic miles. I got a big, big house <laughs> with lots and lots of room. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard, Stephen, where we can play football. It's a big house. You say, well, what if there are just a few million people there? What if it's just 10 million? What if there are just 20 million people there? And you're talking about 3,375,000,000 cubic feet? That seems like a lot of waste. It seems like a lot of trouble. God would say, what trouble? It's not a waste. I said I was going to prepare a place for you. I've been working on it since before there was ever a garden in Eden. I've been working on this place. Don't you think I've done a pretty good job? By the way, it's so big, it's got enough room that whosoever will may come. That's all you need to know. It's big enough that if you receive Jesus Christ, there's a place for you. And you haven't pushed anybody else out to get there. It's a place, a prepared city. Finally, it is a personal place. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. 
four references to who dwells there. First of all, the angels dwell there. Revelation chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation 12 and Revelation 22 tell us that the seraphim and the cherubim and the Gabriel and Michael the archangel are in heaven. Secondly, the 24 elders dwell there. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that the 24 elders are around the throne. I believe that those are the 12 apostles and the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel blending the Old and New Testament together, that there is no break in the revelation of God and God's promise to His people that those who walk by faith will come to know Jesus Christ and will spend eternity in heaven. The 24 elders are there. Thirdly, the saved of Israel will dwell there. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says about that great hall of fame of faith of which are all Jews. He says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. The saved of Israel are going to be there. That's why it's important how we treat the nation of Israel. That's why it's important how we honor people of the Jewish faith, because they are a part of God's promise. And we don't ever need to slight them. We need to share the good news with them. They may at times be offended that we feel the compelling nature to evangelize them. But it's only because we've met their Messiah. You see, I couldn't be saved if I hadn't met a Jew. Because it was a Jew that saved me. It was through the line of David that I found salvation. Not through the line of any Gentile. God chose the Jewish people to bring the deliverer not only of his people and not only of the nation, but of all who will come to Christ. So the saved of Israel are going to be there. Fourthly, the church is going to be there. One of the first things that's going to happen after the rapture is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's going to be one big dinner on the grounds. I hate to tell you that, but I, if it takes up just... 10% of heaven, it's going to be a big table with lots and lots of food. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 says, A great multitude which no man could number of all nations, kindred, people, and tongues stood before the Lamb clothed in white robes. Why do we get involved in missions? Because of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. It tells us that people from all nations of kindred, of people, and tongues will stand before the throne. Why will Jerry Rankin be here in a few weeks to speak and share with us, the president of the Foreign Mission Board, the largest mission-sending agency in America and the world that's connected with a denomination? Why do we have a Foreign Mission Board? Why do we give to that? Because we believe that people from every tribe and every tongue and every skin color and every background are going to be in heaven. It's not going to be limited to white Anglo-Saxons. It's going to be black and white and red and yellow. It's going to be young and old, rich and poor. It's going to cross every line. Every nation is going to be represented because Jesus said that the gospel would be preached in every nation before he comes. There's going to be somebody there from every nation singing praises to God. The church is going to be there. There won't be any denominational signs there. We won't worry about what ethnic background anybody is from. We won't worry about whether we were this or that. The only thing that will matter is that we have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and it made us all equal at the foot of the cross. The church will be there. Now, there are three assurances that we have. 
First of all, we have the assurance of the presence of God. When he says God shall wipe away all their tears, it, it, the word picture is of God literally, personally wiping away our tears. God touching our lives and, and wiping away our tears. Now, here's a problem, and I don't have the answer to it, but I have about that much insight. And I think the principle can hold true. How can God wipe away all our tears? How can there be no more sorrow and no more pain if we have loved ones who have died and gone to hell? That's a good question, isn't it? Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Because, see, I don't see how there can be no more sorrow when we know we have loved ones that aren't there. This is not a complete answer, but at least it is a partial answer for me to give me a little understanding because the Scripture speaks of this on a couple of occasions. I don't know how God's going to do it, but apparently He is. Psalm 34 and verse 16. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. Now notice the next phrase. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, obviously this is a promise related to the Psalms, but it has application even to the future, I think. Now, the reason I think this applies is to cut off memory of them who, from the earth. The reason I think this is applied is because what we're going to look at next week when we talk about hell. If you read Luke chapter 16 on the parable of the rich man in hell, you will find that the rich man was aware of what was going on in the bosom of Abraham, which is one of the terms used for heaven. He could see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he talked to Father Abraham to ask him to send somebody to witness to his brothers. But you read that whole parable... Jesus did not, in fact, Jesus didn't tell it as a parable. Jesus told it as a true story. You read that story, and you will never see Lazarus looking or responding to the rich man in hell. Not one time. You see, I think part of what's going to make hell, hell, is people in hell are going to be able to know what's going on in heaven and know that they can't ever be there, ever, ever be there. I think that's going to make it hell. But you see, Lazarus never responds. Lazarus never says, hey, it's great up here. You should have come. Apparently, Lazarus is oblivious to the rich man even talking to Father Abraham. Now, I don't know how God does that, but I know this. My Bible tells me that God says he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. That there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. And if that kind of knowledge caused us pain, then it wouldn't be heaven, would it? You see, sometimes perfect knowledge can be just like God's perfect knowledge. When the Scripture says God chooses to forget, part of what heaven may be is that He gives us the ability to choose to forget. 
and he releases us from it. That's just a thought. It's, I'm not willing to jump off a tall building to try to prove it, but I do think that there's some merit uh, to that. First of all, the presence of God. Secondly, the protection of God. John saw walls and gates. Now, in that time, city walls were for protection from the enemy. But John said, man, we're not even going to have to close the gates. And no enemy to protect us from. Anybody who comes through those gates is supposed to be coming through. And notice that he says the gates are on the north and the south and the east and the west. The 12 gates, three on each side. Why? Well, I think it's there because God's telling us that in heaven there is abundant entrance for wherever you come from. From north, south, east, or west, wherever you came from on the face of the earth, there's abundant entrance for you. All the Yankees will get to go through the north gate. All the southerners will get to go through the south gate. Those crazy people in California, they'll get to go through the west gate. I mean, yeah. It's abundant interest, but notice that the gates of pearl, he talks about all these stones, but he specifically points out it's gates of pearl, and it's a singular pearl, one pearl. Now remember, the gates, the walls, are 72 yards high. Then there are 12 gates, and every gate is just a pearl. Now why, when all those stones were mentioned and everything else, why were the gates pearl and not something else? I got a good idea. You see, the pearl is the only stone, the only jewel that is formed out of suffering. For a pearl to be formed, it is not chiseled out of a rock. It comes from the pain and the irritation and the suffering of an oyster. I think God made the gates of pearl to remind us that when you go through this gate and you celebrate your life for all eternity with Jesus, you're going to go through his suffering to get there. You don't get into heaven without going through the nail-scarred hands. You don't get into heaven without the one who was bruised for our iniquities. You don't get into heaven without going through Jesus Christ who suffered for our sins and your protection. The reason the gates are open is your protection is found in the one who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The protection of God. I don't know about you, that, that, that just excites me. But think about the fact that we will walk through those gates of pearl and every time we see those gates, we will be reminded that one suffered so that we would never experience the second death. Thirdly, the provision of God. Chapter 22 talks about the river, the water of life. We've already mentioned that. Then it talks about the tree of life. Anybody remember the tree of life? Hadn't heard from that thing in a long time. In Genesis, it tells us that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, guarded by angels. And now it's in heaven, giving what fruit we need, a different fruit every month, to sustain life, the provision of God. God says, you come to me, you'll never thirst. He says to us, 
If you'll come to me, I'll give you bread that satisfies. The Word of God is called meat, it is called honey, and it is called bread. When we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and when we are in heaven and we see the street with the water of life that will sustain us forever, when we see the tree that bears fruit, one tree that bears enough fruit for everything we need, I don't know how he's going to do that. I don't have any clue. I don't have to know. I just know I'm going to be sustained because he's going to provide for me. Every promise that he made to us on earth is fulfilled in heaven. If you watch conversations with the giants Thursday night, you saw Ron Dunn make a statement that I, I think is very true. He said, you know, when we see him, then we will say, yes, Lord, Romans 8.28 is true. We may not can say it all now. We may believe the promise without having the assurance personally. But when we see him, who is our protection, who is our presence, who is our provision, we will say, Lord, you got it all right. You knew what you were doing. We didn't understand it. But you protected us on earth. You provided for us. Your presence was with us in the Holy Spirit. And now for all eternity, we've got the same thing. Folks, heaven is a place of abundant blessing. But I tell you what, all the gold and all the things there, it'd be hell if Jesus wasn't there. Because that's what makes heaven heaven. Why do I want to go to heaven? I, I'm kind of interested, to be quite honest with you, to see what transparent gold looks like. And, and I'd really like to kind of see what it looks like to live in a city that stretches from New York to Denver or from ca the Canadian border to Florida. I'd kind of like to see what 3 billion cubic miles looks like. I, I can't imagine that. But you know, scientists even have figured out that there's more beyond and that the earth keeps evolving and the earth keeps growing and the universe keeps developing. Who's doing all that? Charles Darwin's not doing all that. He's dead. i tell you what heaven is. Heaven is where God reaches out and takes his children in his arms and he says, I told you it was going to be good. And it is. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.